Welcome to the She Likes to Go Slow podcast. Uh, we have got a special guest in studio today. So excited to have a visit with uh, Galen Lee. So welcome to Boise. I understand you've not been here before. and We're so glad you're joining us today. Yeah, it's so pretty here. I wasn't really sure what to expect. It's really gorgeous. It is nice this time yeah. of year. It's a little bit green. Um, while you're here, I introduce your guitar player you've brought with us. Yeah, this is my good friend Al Church. Yeah, what was the band name we come up with that was so funny? I don't oh, know. Uh, Duality. Duality. Yeah. Someone's going to steal that <laughs> name. It was so good. How was South by Southwest? I understand you just came from that. It was awesome. Um, really, really fun, as always, I guess. it's. I went a couple of years ago, and I liked it then, too. Um, I did a couple of showcases and some interviews and got to see some really cool music. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it's a good week. Yeah, I've never been. I'd really love to go there sometime and see how it compares to Treeford. So what's the what's the music scene like in Minnesota? It's amazing. I mean, it kind of feels like you guys have a pretty good scene here mm-hmm. from what I've witnessed so far. But um, Duluth, especially northern Minnesota, there's just a lot of um, real creative people. The band Low came out of there and Charlie Parr and um, Trampled by Turtles and Bob Dylan was born there, so... Good vibes right by Lake Superior. And mm-hmm. then there's a lot of collaboration. Um, and so that's what I like the best. But um, Minnesota as a whole has a ton, just a ton of music. That's we ha- awesome. We have a festival called Homegrown Music Festival that's that. a lot like your tree fort. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's about 200 bands that play every year. They're nice. all from the area. So yeah. it's pretty cool. So we'll get a little more into your background later, but do you come from a poli-sci degree, was I reading? Yes. I want to thank you for playing music, but of course we miss you in the poli-sci world right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Oh, man. It's been tough, but I do feel like there's a lot of really good people stepping up Mm -hmm. to the plate right now and making their voices heard. It's pretty cool. Exactly. Well, a lot of people that I've talked to who were familiar with you, and and the way I became familiar with you was watching the Tiny Desk concert. That was just an amazing performance that you did. And did you have a good time doing that? Oh, yeah. I would never imagine that that would be something I would do. It was really, just kind of blew up, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty pretty unexpected, but sure. it was really cool. We're visiting with songwriter Galen Lee. So what was it like on your tour to Ireland recently? In Ireland, um, you know, I got to play some of the Irish tunes that I used with my looping pedal and kind of reinvented. And mm-hmm. um, But they, like, know the entire history of the tunes. I made the mistake of introducing one of them as an English fiddle tune one time, <laughs> and that did not go over well, and I got a lot of education wow. about that they particular tune. Out. But, yeah, it's a really ingrained part of the culture, mm-hmm. and it's just cool to visit someplace so much older than anywhere we know in America, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty fun. You were mentioning during the setup, you were uh, talking about your friend Alan Sparhawk of, of Lowe. You want to talk about your, your beginnings with him and what you've done? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's the one that introduced me to the looping pedal. Okay. So um, we started playing together in Duluth, and when we first started playing, he was looping my violin, and I was just um, playing harmonies for what mm-hmm. I heard. And then one day he brought over a pedal and said, you should learn how to do this on your own, because someday you'll play shows by yourself. And I was like, ha, ha in my head. <laughs> like, that'll never happen. But actually, that's totally what happened. Um, and But we still... Yeah, once in a while we get to do stuff together still, which is really fun. But I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't met him back in, like, 2011. It was pretty big transition That's for me. wonderful. So he kind of changed your life there with that. Yeah. Um, and Lowe is part of Tree Fort this year. He's going to be uh, playing. It looks like that band is going to be midnight to 1.30 at the London Building tonight. So. I know, which means we'll get to see him, which That'd I'm really great. excited. Cause Might you I collaborate, do you think? Uh, he, 
Uh, I don't want to, I don't know, not for his side, I don't think, sure. but we'll see if we can convince him to uh-huh. join us. See, Al Church, I started playing with him after Al Sparhawk, mm-hmm. so there's a debate whether Al Sparhawk is Al 1 or 2. Because this, I, the duality. Yeah, the duality. duality, that's where it comes from. <laughs> Al Sparhawk, Al Church. I only play with Al's, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I had a friend ask me to ask you this, and I, I thought, I'm going to do it. She, she wants me to ask you, what do you think the future of the world will look like? Oh, my goodness. I think a lot of it has to do with how we respond to what's going on today, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm pretty encouraged when I play in schools um, by the kids that I meet. They're really uh, in tune and compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know that's not every kid, but there's a lot of really cool kids in the next generation, so I think it's our job to try to leave them with the best situation possible. Um, and I think the Internet, even though it's got a lot of <laughs> terrible sides, uh, the one advantage is that it's hard to um, oppress a group without, like, finding out about it, right? Yeah. So um, in a way, that's kind of awesome for human rights movements everywhere. So I don't I don't really know, but I, I do think that it's not like the hope is all lost. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot we can do, and we shouldn't give up now because it's not really giving the kids what they deserve, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great answer. And uh, we'll get more into uh, all of your involvement with this, but we would love to have you tell us about the song, I Wait. Yeah, um, I wrote this song actually during the 2017 healthcare debates. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, not on purpose, but I was so frustrated yeah. because I would read all these articles, even in the most progressive magazines about like all the changes to Medicaid and what groups they would hurt. And so often people listed every single minority except for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And in reality, people with disabilities were going to be really affected if we, you know, got rid of Medicaid or gutted Medicaid. And so, um, and just the idea that we're, we're the largest minority in America, essentially, I mean, 20% of the population has a disability. And we're mentioned as like, either a side notes or not mentioned at all mm-hmm. um, in a lot of issues, a lot of social issues. And so um, this song I wrote about not just like sitting around and doing nothing, like waiting around, but what? how do you exist in that place where you're really, really working for change, but the change isn't here. And um, it can be a really frustrating spot to be when you feel like your voice isn't being heard. Right. Do you have a band called the Murder of Crows or something? Yeah, that's the project that I um, am in with Alan Sparhawk. Oh, okay. Um, so that was started in, like, 2011. We did a silent uh, film score together, and then we decided to kind of form a little band, and we've been playing together ever since on and off. Um, I mean, right now we're both kind of real doing, busy, doing our own things. <laughs> but whenever we get a chance to play, it's always mm-hmm. really fun. So, yeah, he was kind of a mentor for me getting into songwriting for sure. sure. Have you done many songs for film? Um, I just did one for a horror film, which is funny because I don't even know if I'll end up watching it because I suck at watching horror movies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I do, I'm kind of trying to get into that realm a little more. And then I just recorded one for a play as well in England. So it's fun to experiment with new new genres and yeah. Yeah, try new things for sure. That would be a blast. Um, have you ever been approached for any TV acting or films? Um, not, I mean, I'm not, I don't consider myself an actor. I guess I did plays when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, last October I went down to Miami to do a performance of the song that I, um, entered into the Tiny Desk Contest, but I was in the movie. I was like a character in this kind of abstract short film. I mean, that's probably the closest Mm -hmm. that I've gotten to acting 
was singing that song like as a part of the film. The camera's like right in your face, you know, and you're trying to not like look at it. It was oh, like, I couldn't do it. I don't know. I don't know how people act. Is what I learned from that. Exactly. Um, so you have a website, and I love the title of your website, violinscratches.com. Yeah. And on that, I noticed the disability survey. Do you mind talking about the genetic condition and what that survey is all about and what you're up to with it? Yeah. Um, well, I have a disability called um, osteogenesis imperfecta. It's brittle bones disease. And so before I was born, I broke a bunch of bones in utero, so my arms and legs kind of healed uh, crooked, I guess. And so I used a wheelchair ever since I was, like, two years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but the survey is because eventually I really want to write a book. Like, that's actually the next thing I really want to do. I mm-hmm. came out with an album with a full band. Al Church was on there. Al Sparhawk made some appearances. Um, it was a really big project that I'm really happy is, like, out in the world now. And the next thing I want to do is write a book about um, kind of a memoir but interweave ideas of living with a disability in America, but I didn't want to just give my viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And so I created a survey three years ago, I think, and it's just kind of ongoing where people can enter not only like how do they feel from agree strongly to disagree, but also a place for them to enter comments just so that I can like base what I'm saying on like a little bit more of a collective experience. So if you have a disability and you want to take it, uh, my website's violinscratches.com, and you can click on the survey. It's not designed for people who don't have disability because I really want it to be an authentic um, representation. I don't want people to guess how they would feel. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. And so it's meant only if you have a disability or you work with someone or, you act, or you're married to someone. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? That sure. kind of survey. Yeah, you're doing some amazing things, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about you did a TEDx at Yale. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it was very... Very cool opportunity um, that I have given a couple TEDx talks now, and that particular one was about sexuality and disability. Um, kind of in the middle of college, I wrote a paper that kind of gave me a really big stroke of um, inspiration that, or insight that, um, you know, even if you're not included in the model of, like, sexuality in our culture, which if you have a disability, you're pretty much excluded from that. Like, right. There's not a lot of information for mm-hmm. you, and they don't really assume that you're, you know, like sexually attractive or that you're, and you're just not included in the dialogue. I don't know how to yeah. explain it any just other not way. Active or anything. Um, yeah, because yeah, people just have all these assumptions about disability and sexuality. But um, even though that's kind of disappointing or disheartening growing up as a kid, because you feel like, oh, I'll never find anyone or I'm not desirable, all of a sudden, if you realize, well, actually, I'm fine the way I am. Um, it's the standards that are really set up um, not to help people so much as to make people feel insecure so that they, like, buy cosmetics or mm-hmm. enter into a weight loss plan or join a gym. So, like, the standards that we have in our society only fit a few people and only for a few years. I mean, you age and you're no longer considered, quote-unquote, sexually desirable, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. the message that our culture sends. So... Uh, the the reality is that the message of beauty in our culture is I it's just a fake standard. I mean, really, it's set up for a reason, and that reason is to get people to buy stuff. Right. And so, when you realize that the whole thing's kind of a scam, anyways, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, then you can just be yourself. And it was a very freeing realization. And shortly after that, I actually ended up having my first boyfriend, and then eventually I met my husband. And um, and you know, like it hasn't been an issue 
for me since because mm-hmm. I just decided that I was fine with the way I was. Yeah, you um, just changed how you felt about it. Yeah, and then I realized that everybody could do that. I mean, it's not like I'm the only one that can realize that beauty standards are basically artificially created to sell stuff. I mean, if everybody realized that, it doesn't mean that you we all have to stop showering. It just means <laughs> that, like, we can just be comfortable with who we are mm-hmm. and do the things that we f- make, like, feel good about, you know? Like, choose what you like and do it and don't really pay attention to the stuff that doesn't resonate with you, right, you know? Right, Well, I love that you did that, and I love your positivity. Violin, do you play anything else? <laughs> no, not very well. <laughs> I have a half-size guitar. Mm-hmm. I can strum out, like, hallelujah. And then... uh I have a tiny little lap harp, mm. and I can play a terrible rendition of Silent Night so far. <laughs> like, but someday I'd like to learn both of those things better. I meant to ask you, too, your videos are really fun. Do you, do you have, like, all of your input on what happens right now? I mean, how, how much are you told to do by anybody else? Or are you pretty indie? Oh, I'm really, really indie Good. right now. Um, I had a booking agent for a while, but mm-hmm. I was having trouble getting the accessibility, like, really figured out ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So I started doing my own booking in May, and I don't know how long I'll keep that configuration, sure. but I don't have a manager or a label right now just because mm-hmm. I do like being indie, and I just think in the age of the internet, I don't know, it would take a lot to convince me that I want to sign away, <laughs> the, like the ability to like kind of make my own decisions creatively and otherwise. You yeah, know? kind of a priceless freedom. Yeah, I play a lot of random gigs, like I play a lot of schools and mm-hmm. nonprofits and I can kind of fit it in where I want to, and I really like being able to do that for right now anyways. Sure. You mentioned earlier that you're happily married now, right? Yeah. And uh, tell us about the events that led up to the wedding. I know there was kind of a a lot of stuff going on. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, what what does she mean? Oh, um, (laughs) Well, I had a really big surgery um, about six weeks before the wedding, and then I got really sick afterwards. I had some complications in the hospital, and that's actually what sparked the writing of the song that I entered into the Tiny Desk Mm -hmm. Contest. Um, and so that, yeah, like that, it's funny because that terrible time ended up producing this song that really changed our lives. You know, my husband and I decided to sell our house and quit our jobs and buy a van and hit the road basically. And so we've been on the road for the last two and a half years, Mm -hmm. all because of a song that I wrote after, um, a pretty rough time. So it's a, it's interesting how things that aren't always positive in the moment, end up being like kind of a window to a whole new part of your existence. It was really weird to watch. But. Sure. You're listening to the She Likes to Go Slow podcast. Tell me about how it used to be. You mentioned somewhere that I was reading you used to feel invisible. Oh, I guess being invisible, that was probably from the sexuality talk yeah, that yeah. I gave. I mean, yeah. it's just that people with disabilities, when they're left out of conversations, whether it's sexuality or health care, um, it's like you're not there almost, even though you're trying really hard to be seen and to like, and you're having to work harder to do a lot of the same things that people do, not because of your disability, but because of the way society is set up. You know, it's not accessible. Um, You're limited, like the way that you get benefits is very difficult. And like, all these things are harder. And yet, you're doing all this stuff to just get to the starting line. And then when you get there, nobody's like, acknowledging you in the conversation. And it's a very... um kind of a weird feeling that I think is hopefully changing, partly because of the internet, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Advocates that, you know, can't even, like, like that otherwise would be completely invisible are able to have very strong voices online 
um, you know, because even if they're writing from their beds, they're still contributing to the dialogue. And I think that's really new and really cool Mm -hmm. to watch. So um, I think that's starting to change, but we're at like the very baby beginnings. Yeah, you're doing wonderful things with that. And uh, it seems like there's just such a fear around the topic. People don't know what to do with it. So it's great that you're just going after them and going after them. Yeah, I think it's changing slowly, but surely, but it's a good time to be alive to really direct. And I'm not the only one doing it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of really cool people speaking up right now. It's pretty fun. Sure. What was your uh, your job in your past life? What were you doing before you got to play music? Um, I was teaching fiddle full-time, and before then, I was an insurance agent. Uh, and then before then, I worked at a boys and girls club. I had like a million jobs after college. I did AmeriCorps for a couple of years. Oh, nice. Um, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do, and honestly, teaching fiddle kind of really opened my eyes to the fact that I did really want to do music for a living, and I didn't necessarily mean touring, but I meant connecting with music every day because I didn't find any other job as satisfying. And when I started teaching, I was like, oh, this is what I've been looking for, you know? Mm-hmm. And touring feels the same way, just being able to express yourself and and just be connected to music. It just is a lot something I care a lot more about than any other job I had before that. Sure. What would you say to people who are kind of stuck in their jobs and just can't get to their dreams because, you know, they want the benefits and they're so afraid to make that leap? Well, I would say vote for a candidate that's going to (laughs) get Medicare for all, first of all, Um, because I honestly think healthcare keeps a lot of people out of the jobs that they want, and I think that's really tragic. Um, But the other thing I think is you don't have to make the leap all at once. You know, Mm -hmm. I was teaching fiddle very part-time at first. I was doing insurance almost full-time and kind of gradually transitioned. Um, It's not like you have to decide to do it right away. You can kind of build up a career. I mean, it means that you're pretty busy, but if you're doing what you like, um, it doesn't feel as terrible as if you're busy doing stuff you hate, you know? Mm -hmm. So if part of your day is dedicated to something you're passionate about, it's more fun to be doing two jobs than just one. So, like, wait until the time makes mm-hmm. sense for you to transition over, I think. Sure. What gave you the courage to make your own way? Um, I think, well, actually, I do remember what it was. I had a friend from elementary school die of cancer pretty mm-hmm. suddenly. He got sick, and then, like, three months later, he was gone. And I started thinking, like, you know how everyone says, what would you do on your last day of Earth? Well, you'd probably eat a ton of chocolate and, like, hug your loved ones. But what would you do on your last five years on Earth, mm-hmm. right? Like, that is a different question that I had never considered. Like, life is not going to last forever. And, like, do you really want to spend the years that you do have doing something you just aren't passionate about or, like, that doesn't bring you joy? And I don't think it it has to be. I think we're really work-focused in our culture. Like, I have fiddle students that just play fiddle and they get home from work and they play for, like, three hours. And that was what they did to, like, connect with their passion. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a job. But I do think if you're stuck in a place that you really hate, um, there are little things you can do to connect with your passions that might lead to something bigger eventually. And if you think of life as not like this endless thing that you can figure out way down the line, and you realize that none of us are really granted that as a guarantee, um, it kind of helps you to think about, okay, well, what should I be doing with my life in the long run, you know? So that's what spurred me to think about if I really did want to stay in insurance or if I wanted to make the leap to teach uh, teach at all and then teach full-time eventually. Mm-hmm. 
And then the tiny desk is why I started touring. I mean, <laughs> sure. I would not have made that change like it's so a huge drastically. Door. Yeah. yeah, it was just a really big opportunity that I was like, if I don't do it now, I'm going to regret it. So let's exactly. try it. Exactly. Gail Lee, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> You're such an inspiration, and I really appreciate you coming by. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, this album you have out now, Learning How to Stay? Yeah. Right? And we can order that online? Yep. Again, the website, violinscratches.com. And we would just love to hear one more song. Yeah, this is kind of how I got started on um, the looping pedal. It's a traditional fiddle tune, um, but it's on the new album. It's called Metsukukia. It's a Finnish fiddle tune, and it means forest flowers. But as you'll see, it sounds a lot more like the apocalypse than it does flowers. But here you go.
My name is Galen Lee, and you're listening to She Likes to Go Slow. For more podcasts, visit shelikestogoslow.com.